Incidentally, I'm not the teacher referred to in the in that passage. Uh, I'm not the one that you should follow. And that's why this is called the dispensable church. And that's why I'm his most dispensable. Uh, the song that John sang, I didn't realize he was going to sing this song, which he wrote for a wedding, says, uh, I see my way home in you. Gail's and my uh, 19th anniversary is tomorrow. I don't think John realized that, and so we were holding hands during that song. And, uh, and as it was going on, an old uh, insight, an old recognition that many of you have had came to mind. And that is how often the Christ has appeared in our life. How many people, how many little children, how many friends came before us and there was simply Jesus. There was simply the Christ. In your shining eyes, I see my way home, said John's song. And isn't that true? What confuses us is that we get the ego mixed up in that. We think that this means something, that we're supposed to do everything that the person's ego tells us to do. We're supposed to lay down before this person and have them wipe their feet on us and <laughs> walk all over us. Because that is, of course, what our ego would wish to do with anyone else. And so it's what any other one, anyone else's ego would wish to do with us. We should not be surprised at this. So it's not the ego. But it is, it is that which stands behind the ego. And I'm going to ask you to do a little imagery that we've done a number of times at this church. But let's do it for just a moment here together. And maybe we can see a little more clearly this great fact that you only have one friend. And this friend comes to you in person after person after person. <laughs> so close your eyes now and take anyone you wish, someone with whom you're having trouble or a dear friend, it doesn't matter. Just anyone, whoever has come to your mind, and hold them there before you now. See them clearly. And now notice that behind this person there is a brilliant and lovely and gentle figure of light standing right behind the person. And watch now as this figure of light walks into this person. Your parent, your employer, your friend, your spouse, your child. And in your mind now, 
reach out and take hold of these hands that are reaching out to you. And hug this light to you. Don't worry about the ego, the personality. Hug the light to you, the gentleness. And now for just a moment, turn your eyes to this congregation, excuse me, your mental eyes. Keep your eyes closed. Turn your attention to this congregation. Can you not sense the gentleness of the people who are here? The gentleness. Just think how gentle people are. Of course, they're all these other things, but just think how gentle they are. How gentle they are. That is the Christ who has come to take you home. God is already here. God is already here. All right. Uh, this morning, sort of in follow-up to the uh, page and a half that uh, Gail read from the text, I'm going to present an awareness program. So very often, people ask, yes, but, how do you do it? Yes, but, yes, but. And what I, of course, say most often is, there is no way to do it. Pick any way you wish and do it, and it will be your way home, provided you do it provided you stop shopping. <laughs> so this is just one way to do it. And this has to do with becoming aware of your thoughts. You have only one need, and that is to become aware of your thoughts. That's the only need you have. Perhaps that sounds like a radical statement. What about my need to know God? A Course in Miracles points out that God is an idea. We have not yet sensed the substance of ideas. God is an idea. And for you to become aware of your thoughts is to become aware of the fact that God is already here. God is already with you. Anytime you increase your awareness, you increase your awareness of God, no matter what it is you think you're increasing your awareness of. It is inescapable. And so this simply seems like a little program in which you will become more aware of your thoughts. But there is only one true idea. You see... The ego splits everything up. This world is based on separation. Once you see that separation is not a fact, this whole world will be wiped away. 
That's all you have to see. That this world is but an image imposed on oneness. John is very interested in looking through things like most five-year-olds, four-year-olds, three-year-olds, and so forth. I'm sure you can remember doing this, looking through different things, looking through little odd pieces of glass, looking through the windshield in a certain way, picking up even certain rocks and looking through them. And I'm sure all of you have been in what used to be called the House of Mirrors. They don't call them that anymore in the carnivals. But among other things, they usually included those real funny mirrors and you'd stand before them. And you remember the mirror that would seem to almost split you? You were real big up here and you were real teeny down here. But if you look closely, there was nothing in between. The mirror seemed to split you. And that's what we think. We actually think we're separate from each other. We actually believe we are different than everybody else. And of course our ego is. But we are not. And that's all this world is. It's a very, very poor pair of glasses. Somehow the glass in the glasses got all warped. And when you look out on what you think is reality, it divides it into a million pieces, all separate from each other. And yet it has never, ever been true. But we have to look somewhere to begin seeing the oneness. Uh, now, you've heard me talk about the fact that some years ago, Gail and I, oh, there was a friend of mine, um, <laughs> there was a friend of mine um, who's in business here, and he had business with a very famous person. So the very famous person was in town, and my friend was doing business with the very famous person, and I talked to my friend on the phone. And uh, a friend of the friend was over at our house at this very time, and the friend of the friend was telling us about the very famous person. And afterwards, later in that afternoon, Gail and I compared notes and realized that we had gotten stirred up by the fact that this very famous person was in town, was actually a friend of a friend of ours, and was actually roaming around, coming within just a few miles of our very abode. <clears throat> and uh, so we started working on that. We started, Gail and I have been doing the very program that I'm going to mentioned to you, and part of it includes writing down thoughts that take us out of the present. As a matter of fact, that's essentially the program. And this, of course, was taking us out of the present, this thought. And so as I would write the initials of this person down, 
over and over because it was pointless to write the thought out. I was having it so often, I was just initialing it now in my little pad. My little pad, which I carry with me at all times. You see, just a line of initials. But you can't see what they are. I'm not going to Because then you'll try to... You'll try to start figuring out who the very famous person is. And of course, there are so many to choose from, aren't there? And I realized that this was a famous person to me only because I used to watch television. And I had not watched television in the last three years. And that there were now famous people out there that I didn't even know. <laughs> And that if I ran across them, I would just treat them as my brother, my sister. I wouldn't treat them as a very famous person. And that if I'd never watched television, and if I'd never read a newspaper, and if I'd never listened to radio, and if I'd never picked up a magazine, I would be free forevermore of famous people. <laughs> and somehow that allowed me to, to let go of the whole thing. However... There still remains in our household, I've told you this before, there still remains a person in our household who subscribes to TV Guide. Gail, as a matter of fact, I heard the person clear her throat as I said that. Um, <laughs> and Gail, who of course picks up the mail, naturally opens up TV Guide to read from it, naturally. And uh, it always lightens our day. We, uh, there's a little article in it. I know none of you even look at TV Guide, so you wouldn't know about this little article. It was written by R.C. Smith, which is funny itself. R.C. R.C. Smith. Um, but it's, a, it's, it's so funny that I'm going to try to read little snatches of it to you but I cannot promise I can get through through it, any of it. It's, um, but it's a, this editor of TV Guide was assigned to do synopses of, of soap operas, to, you know, to summarize what the soap opera was going to be about. And uh, what he did instead, evidently, was just make up his own because he saw that they were all the same and so he would, <laughs> he would just do his own. So... Uh, in reading this, I realized that this is what we think about. These are the things that you write down in your little pad. This is the composition of life. Soap operas come so close to exactly the way life is, if you take out the little meditations in between. <laughs> so I will be reading these to you from time to time just... Because you'll say, well, what am I supposed to write down? And this will give you the subject matter. You won't. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the program. First, I'm going to motivate you. Not me. <laughs> Um, have you ever wondered why children are so much happier than adults? 
Now, children's emotions are right on the surface. Their, their little egos are right out there. And so when they are unhappy, it's very obvious. And we like to pretend that these snatches, these patches of unhappiness are nothing like what we experience. And therefore, there is some true comparison about the happiness level of a little child and the average adult. But let's not kid ourselves. All we have done is we have learned to hide our unhappinesses, our wants. I want this toy. I don't want to go to bed. No. And uh, we don't say it that way. Do you really need to go to bed this early? Instead of saying, I don't want to go to bed. We say to our spouse, do you actually need that much sleep? But what we're really saying is, I don't want to go to bed. <laughs> That's all that's happened. We've dressed it up in a little bit of virtue and goodness. But just think now of a little child, a little child who hasn't yet been taught how important the past was. We were driving home recently from what was for us a churning up event. Uh, it was it was the ultimate roller coaster. They used to have one in Gallison, Texas, that went out over the ocean. It was actually in the ocean itself. It burned down several times, and they finally had to tear it down. But the memory of all the burnings and the clashing waves beneath you and the rickety structure, uh, you would go out on the roller coaster and... Uh, you would truly be unhappy. <laughs> Which is what we all long for. And it's why we watch soap operas. Uh, oh, I've got to watch this episode. They're going to be so unhappy today. <laughs> um, so we had been to one of these turning up events that we, it was more peaceful to go to it than not to go to it. So we went to it. Oh, yes. <laughs> Happens every time I speak. <laughs> and so, of course, we were... <laughs> Speaking of little children, <laughs> the light switch is back there. Yes. Uh, so we were coming home and we were truly churned up we were driving home but our mind was totally fixed on what had happened and we were trying to discuss it in spiritual ways uh, knowing that we weren't supposed to discuss it we were discussing it in spiritual ways and John started the ding dong song I, I suddenly it he had this burst of inspiration that you could take the word ding-dong and you could set it to any melody whatsoever. Ding-dong, <laughs> ding-dong, ding-dong, ding-dong. And this just went on and on and on. Um, um, and we suddenly realized that although John had been with us at this churning up event, 
sat through the whole thing. He was not having a single thought about it. He was just singing this little thong, song, and every once in a while, <laughs> he would uh, he would stop and say, "Isn't that a nice song?" He says, "Sure is, John. That's just a wonderful song." And then he'd go back and do things with Ding Dong that we no musician had ever thought of doing. <laughs> John was happy. We were not. And the reason was very simple. And it's the reason that children are happier than adults. And of course, we've mentioned this before. Their mind is in the present. They let go of the past. Whereas we have gotten ourselves to the state where we cannot do anything without thinking when it's going to be over or am I doing it right or what do I have to do next or recalling the mistake we just made or going back 20 years ago and remembering some embarrassing situation and being embarrassed all over again about it. If you'll just look at your mind, you will see you have lost the ability to give yourself wholly and simply to the present. To just allow yourself to be happy now. To have not a care in the world. We've lost that ability. Well, we've almost lost that ability. Because it is impossible to lose any ability that comes to you from your father. It's impossible. And so you have not actually lost it, but we act as though we have. And so the program is simply to renew the ability to brush off the old cobwebs, to get the old thing out of the attic and use it once again because we're becoming more and more unhappy as the years go on. Life is becoming more and more tiring and we're asking ourselves, what is the point of all of this more and more often? And we see the tragedies played out over and over again among our friends. And we hear a voice whisper, there must be a better way. And there is. It's just that it's so simple we feel insulted. So let me give you some of the benefits of this program. If you will do this simple exercise. This is an exercise that Gail and I use over and over and over. I can't tell you how long to use it. I can tell you you will never run out of the usefulness of this exercise until you're in the present once again. And then, of course, you will have no need of the exercise. When your mind is as still as the mind of God, you will no longer have need of this exercise. There's not that there's any magic to this particular exercise, but since so many people request so often, what can I do? Give me something specific to do. Here is a specific. First, the, the benefits. This little exercise will show you the exact boundaries of your ego, and you'll realize that it's not as big as you thought it was you will see exactly what you have to do, and you will see what you don't have to do. So you don't have to do everything that everyone, everyone else has to do. There are few things that you have to do, but you do have to do them. They will not go away in and of themselves because they are, they are things that you think 
you want to do. But you don't know what those are. This is a safe statement to make. No one sitting in this room right now or standing up knows the full dimensions of his or her ego yet. If you knew it, you could walk very gently over it. But we keep stumbling over some little point that is sticking up. That's the first benefit. As you use the little exercise, which I've told you is basically just writing down a particular thought, a particular kind of thought, you will question the validity of the thought merely by putting it out there where you can look at it. It will not seem as important, as intelligent, as compelling. You will be motivated to stop thinking the particular thought that is disturbing you. And everyone here is plagued by certain thoughts. This is the seat of your unhappiness. It's these particular thoughts that come, most of which you and I are not aware of. If you will do this exercise for any time at all, you will see that these are not overstatements. You are making yourself unhappy by the thoughts you think, and you don't even know what they are. All you have to do is become aware of what the thoughts are and you will no longer think them because you will see that they are not your thoughts. So it will motivate you to let go of the particular thoughts you're working on at the moment by the mere hassle of having to write it down. You'll get so tired of writing it down that you will simply not write, you will simply not uh, think it anymore. I've mentioned that we all have a major idol, sort of a, uh, a key, keystone, a corner block that holds up our ego. And there have been a number of people who have asked me, please tell me what mine is. Your major idol will be revealed to you if you do the exercise. You cannot escape it. It will be in about every third second thought. You will write it down so many times that you, you won't. there won't be any doubt about what your major idol is. What is your love of the world? It's not the same of every, everyone else's. What in the world do you think has value? It's not the same as what other people think, although there is, of course, overlapping. you will see the layers of your thinking. So we start out aware of only one little layer of our thought, and it is not the most powerful layer. The layer that we think of as our moods is a deeper layer of thought that appears to be unconscious until you start, until you start watching your mind. And so suddenly you will find yourself depressed or irritated or in a rush and you cannot, for the life of you, think of any thought that started it. And yet there must have been one. There must have at least been the thought, I am late. I have too much to do. I will never get all of this done. I am strapped with this burden of a spouse. And I don't believe in divorce. That must have been there because suddenly... You're depressed. 
or whatever the thing is, do you see? So that's another benefit. It will keep you in the present to do the exercise. It will return you to the present, at least, more and more often. And you will become more like a child. And you will begin to enjoy your life. Yay, even your life. <laughs> oh, I, well, I'll tell you what, let's do. Let's read a little bit of your life. We'll do this. The first one, first soap opera here is The Brink of Shame. Does it sound familiar? <laughs> Hannah smashes Wendell's wheelchair after he signs over the condo to Marcy. Still in the burn unit, Joel is falling in love with a nurse. A distraught Wiley goes jogging and never comes back. <laughs> Gerald snubs the waiter who was Stan's kidney donor. <laughs> Hank is growing closer to Edna in spite of her death. <laughs> So your mind will turn from that to the present. Now, isn't it obvious that if your mind is more in the present, you will be a little bit more sensitive to the people who are around you? If your mind's in the present, you will be a little bit more sensitive. If your mind is off someplace, as our mind is 99 percent of the time. That's an understatement. <laughs> if your mind is off somewhere, isn't it obvious that you are not as sensitive to the people around you as you could be? If you are with your child and your mind is off somewhere, isn't it obvious that you will not hear what they need from you or think of what you could do that would make you happy to do for your child, or to be firm if firmness is called for, is it not obvious that you would not be as sensitive to that if your mind is off somewhere? So being in the present, we are more sensitive to the people around us. We, of course, are more sensitive to everything, to our automobile, to our finances, to our health, to our body, but at least we are more sensitive to the people around us. And if you are more sensitive to the people around you, there is more love in your heart. Because truly the people around you are worthy of at least some love. And to be sensitive of them is to feel at least some gratitude, some tenderness, some bond, some oneness, some friendship, at least some. And is it at all possible that you could feel more love and not be happier? And so being in the present will make you happier. Is it not possible that if you felt more love, you would stop wondering when am I going to experience God? 
I haven't yet experienced God. How do you experience God? You begin to experience God. You begin to experience God a little bit. A little bit of God. Just a little bit of God. And then a little bit more of God. And then a little more and a little more and a little more. Until one day, you say to yourself, there is nothing but God. Now, this last one, I don't... I, I, this is just something you will notice. And it's one of these things that... that uh, it's, it's one of the least, it's one of the least um, important ones. But you will notice it. As your mind returns to the present, you will feel more energy. Now, I, I, I don't like mentioning that because energy is such a big word right now. Everything is now giving us more energy. But in fact, you will feel more energy. Have you noticed that children have more energy than adults? <laughs> there is a reason for that, people. And it's not because they're teeny. <laughs> okay. So I'll tell you the program. But first, I'll review a few more of the thoughts. These are the thoughts that you will be writing down, or at least the thoughts about the events that you will be writing down. And so this soap opera is called The Bold Accountants. <laughs> Felicity accosts Marcia in a voting machine to taunt her about Gary's sex change operation. <laughs> Grand <laughs> Grandpa is kicked to death by Buffy's pony. <laughs> I'm sorry, but this is, this is what it says here, people. And we do think about these things. Buffy's little pony? <laughs> depressed by heavily gam excuse me, depressed by heavy gambling losses, Jan checks into a motel to get fat. <laughs> Allison seduces Dennis at the funeral home while Buffy's guru persuades her to sneak a travel alarm into Grandpa's casket. <laughs> Brenda reaches out to Hall by buying his beer can collection. <laughs> but we do reach out in different ways. Yeah. All right. Uh -oh. <laughs> so here's the little program little teeny program has five steps step number one spend five minutes a day doing this for one week five minutes a day for one week about as long as you brush your teeth five minutes a day for one week all you do for one week is you just sit down, close your eyes, and watch your thoughts. 
You don't do anything more than that. You don't write them down or anything else. You watch them the way you... Do you remember lying on your back when you were a kid and looking up at the clouds and seeing the different shapes that you t- that they took? Or maybe, maybe you had a friend beside you and you would say, Oh, look, here's an elephant. Or, look at that monster over there. There was a, an interest. There was no judgment. There was no judgment of the clouds. That's the important thing. When you watch the clouds go by, you weren't judging them. Ooh, yuck, awful cloud. Get that out of the sky. <laughs> you weren't doing that, you see. No matter what shape the cloud took, you didn't judge it. You were just interested in it, and you observed. And that's what you want to do with your thoughts for just five minutes a day. Just look at them and see what you can see. What thoughts can you see? You can see at this point only a very tiny fraction of your actual thoughts. But don't worry about that. Just take the thoughts that you can see, that you recognize as thoughts, and look at them. A Course in Miracles uses this image. It says, look at the thoughts the way you might look at a parade of interesting characters going by. You see what each character is, but you do not condemn yourself for it. So many people, and possibly you have not escaped this, think they know what thoughts they should be thinking and shouldn't be thinking. They know what are good and bad thoughts. You don't want to have that judgment or that wisdom during this exercise. Don't decide beforehand what are good and what are bad thoughts. Say to yourself, I am not perfectly certain what is a good or bad thought. Surely everyone in complete honesty can make that statement. We are not perfectly certain what is a good or bad thought. Therefore, I will not judge my thoughts. I will look at my thoughts as if seeing them for the first time. You identify with your thoughts. That's why you think they're so important. But you are not your thoughts. So don't take it personally what you see. What will you see? This is uh, Seize the Night. Address Adrift in Peter's dinghy, Buzz and Melanie are ran by Colonel Quay's bass boat. At a lawn party, Jessica causes a scene by telling off a cat. Sicily, <laughs> Sicily reads Rudy's palm and breaks their engagement. I'm sure you can relate to that, can't you? <laughs> A heartbroken Jamie throws himself into nonstop bridal path maintenance. <laughs> this is that you live at Bishop's Lodge or something like that. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> All right. Yeah. <laughs> the second step. For 10 minutes, for two weeks. 10 minutes for two weeks. Watch your thoughts and categorize them. So you want two or three or four 
possibly even five categories. What these categories are does not matter. Pick any categories that you wish. I will suggest a few categories. One might be judgment slash attack. Judgment attack. That's one category. So anytime you see a thought that you would classify as an attack thought or a judging thought, a denouncing thought, a critical thought, that kind of thing, you'd write it under that heading. Another category would be the past. So any thought that has to do with the past, you write that down. A third category might be the future. Any thought that has to do with the future. Are you longing for something to be over? Are you watching the clock? Are you fantasizing some upcoming event? Does it pertain to the future? Have you been drawn into the future? And you write that down. A fourth category, worry. Any thought that you recognize as worry. Worry is a question. And a fifth category might be fear. Worry is experienced as a question, whereas fear is experienced as a fact. You are presently eating something that you think is going to damage you badly. You're presently driving in such a way that you're afraid you're jeopardizing some member of your family or yourself. There's this vague feeling about a catastrophe because you just read some book, some catastrophe looming over you. There's a feeling of impending doom about the end of your marriage. It's just sort of a running theme that goes on. That seems to be a fact. So you'd put that kind of fact under fear. The questions under worry. The past, the future, and then the attack judgment. So for ten minutes a day, for two weeks, you'd sit quietly, and every time you saw a thought that came under that category, you would write it down. That's step number two. What are we willing to do to get home? We talk so much about awakening. We talk so much about spiritual reality. And we're willing to do so very, very little. We just do these scattered, hectic kinds of things. These little bursts of attempts that peter out so quickly. Is doing something for two weeks a shock? Number three. You write the thought out in a little notebook. So this is after the one week of watching, the two weeks of categorizing. Then you take your little notebook and you write down a particular kind of thought. You can write down all thoughts if you wish. You can write down just a thought that you know is bothering you. For example, you might write down just thoughts that have to do with anger. Why are you not over your anger? Why are you still an angry person? Why do you still have outbursts of anger? 
Perhaps you even get violent at times. Why is that still going on in your life? The reason is very simple. You have not yet been willing enough to do anything about it. You have just made little half attempts. Perhaps it's not anger. Perhaps it's a deep sadness. Perhaps you're someone who cries inappropriately. You're always crying, embarrassing yourself. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with crying, and there is a kind of crying when we, when we feel the presence of God. We feel the touch of Christ, and we cry. But there's this other kind of crying that comes from, from a deep sadness. You don't know where that sadness is coming from. You don't know what happened that you carry this sadness with you now. You don't know what happened that you carry this anger with you. This pot of anger, it's always boiling. You still don't know. You still haven't seen it. Perhaps you've even said the words, but you haven't seen it yet. Write your thoughts down about anger or about sadness or about depression or about jealousy. Are you a jealous person? Does this torture you all the time? Do you actually think that perhaps you're insane because you're jealous so often? If you were to write your thoughts down about that diligently and you were to keep it up for just a few weeks, perhaps a month or two, at least not longer than a year or two, you would never again be a jealous person or an angry person. You would just have to persist until there was no trace left of it. Now, this is something that I do, that Gail does all the time. It is not a burden. When I'm driving in a car and I can't do this, because I have to get someplace or I'm in a traffic situation, I can't pull over the side. It's good to pull over, incidentally. It tells you how important it is. You show your mind how important this is to you. Then I mentally write it in the little book. And what kind of thing do I write? This is the last one, people. This soap opera is called Young, Creative, and Rich. <laughs> Wanda inflames Conrad by tuning up his motorcycle. <laughs> Valentine becomes suspicious when Fran's wedding ring is found in the missile silo. <laughs> Cass slaps a girl scout after Flora makes him listen to whale songs. <laughs> Aza finds drug paraphernalia in his mother's Ferrari. Lorna steams to death when Jackson locks her in the sauna. <laughs> the producer reads Yancey's script and orders him shot. <laughs> Manny tries to use Millicent for a down payment on a central heating franchise. <laughs> now, people, that last one is not true. I've told you that... 
the, the central heating is just a symbol for Manny. She would never use Millicent for a down payment. This is absolutely not true. Step number four. You're continuing to write these things down. Set aside one period a day for a meditation. Begin that meditation at five minutes. As soon as you feel, which might be very quickly, that you can go to ten, go to ten. And then to fifteen, and so forth. However, stay below your level of willingness, not above it. Do a little less than you think you can do happily. A little less than you think you can do happily. Because you don't want to fall into the ego's ploy of this being drudgery. Is it drudgery for you to recognize who you are? Is it drudgery for you to recognize that you've never left home? Is it drudgery to begin to see the real world? To see this bath of light that spreads over every living thing? There is no drudgery to becoming so happy we feel the presence of God. So don't slip into that. Do what you can do. And during this meditation, say a mantra any mantra, any ritualized prayer, any phrase, any quote, any words you love, say it over and over and over. Your purpose during this one meditation will simply be to totally empty your mind and to begin to experience a still mind. You've got to begin to experience it so that you will see you have nothing to fear from it. Do not Underestimate your fear of silence. Have you noticed that when you've tried to stop thinking that you immediately become anxious? We've been thinking so long, we think it serves a purpose. <laughs> Surely it must serve a purpose. And we are shocked to find it serves no purpose. It doesn't decide anything. It doesn't guard us against future mistakes. Of course you pay your bills. Of course, you shop for the groceries that you're going to need to fix your upcoming meals. That's not leaving the present. Everything you do in the world relates to the future and the past. So don't let your ego confuse you. But you will do what you need to do in silence much more thoroughly, much more quickly than you will with a mind that's full of worries and questions. But you do not believe this. People, we really do think all this thinking that we do serves a purpose. And it does. It is the image that is placed over reality. It is the gate that bars you from the welcome of God. It is why you have not felt God. It is why you don't feel God's presence with you as you go through the day. I'm not saying that's true of every single person here. But so many of you said, how do I feel God? You begin, you do something. 
and you'll begin to feel joy. We don't even know what that word means. You'll begin to feel joy. You'll begin to hear music. You don't even know what music is like. You'll begin to feel loved. You don't think you are loved. And you are loved so much that there is no part of God left out of the loving. And then the fifth step. You take your mantra and you say it to you, to yourself, forever. You just say it over and over. And you never stop saying it. Of course you can change it. Of course you can use any words you wish. A time will come in which there will be nothing but stillness. And there will be no more mantra. But if you would like a way to have a still mind, do these five steps, do them in this order. And end by saying a simple mantra to yourself forever and you will come to know stillness and when your mind is as still as the mind of God you will come to know there is no difference now let me end by just giving you a few mantras close your eyes and these are, I'm not recommending these mantras these are just a few that I use or that I know other people use just a few but just a simple phrase. Do not look for a perfect mantra. There is no perfect mantra. Just get an adequate one. <laughs> and begin. Remember, the purpose is peace and stillness. It isn't, it isn't the mantra. The mantra is the means, the teaching aid. Say this to yourself for just a few seconds. All released, all is peace. All released, all is peace. Just say it over and over and over. Please, someone, stand up and share with us your little phrase, your little mantra. Yes. Say it loudly, please. Success is mine through the divine. And remember, there is only one success because there's only one reality. The only success is the peace of God. Success is mine through the divine. Please, someone, stand up and share your mantra, your little phrase that you say to yourself over and over that's meant so much to you. Yes. God bless me, I love me. Isn't that lovely? God bless me, I love me. I've told you about one that, that I use. I say, I love you, Father, and then I answer for God. I love you, my son. I love you, Father. I love you, my son. All right, now take one of those three now. Close your eyes and just say it to yourself very gently. 
go beyond the words to the experience. Gently now, a little of the experience, just a little of the experience. The one that Gail likes is, I and my Father are one. Jesus' words. I and my Father are one. Okay. To summarize, it will all be done with your mind. Nothing exists but the mind. We don't have to try to understand that. We certainly don't have to derive rules of behavior from that fact. But it is a fact nonetheless. Nothing exists except your mind. Your mind is one with your Father, one with God. It's all done with your mind. You can stay in hell, a different hell every day. Buffy's dinging being bounced off the bass boat or whatever it might be. And there's no end to it. Or you can begin looking at your mind as if it were a precious gift handed to you by your Father, Mother, God. It is a gift, a shining gift. And you may think you have sullied it or damaged it, perhaps even ruined it, but you have done nothing but have an unhappy dream for a moment. That's all. Your mind is exactly the way it was forever and forever and forever. So begin no war with your thoughts. Use this gentle program or some other one. But do begin. Be happy, be kind, and be at peace. And let's hold each other's hand as we walk home. And let's look into the shining eyes and see indeed Jesus is right there. Even in your dream, he has come. He is right there.